that's the real scam, I think. If we think that getting what you want uh, is what it means uh, to live well or to be happy. Hello and welcome to our fourth episode of a special series we are calling Examples. Often in the study of religion, we find ourselves interested in and exploring topics that on the surface level seem to have no connection to the study of religion. And many people ask us, you're a scholar of religion. Why are you studying this? We hope that through examples, the audience will learn some new things along the way and discover that those who are in the academic study of religion contribute to and gain knowledge from other fields of study as well. I'm your host, Sierra Eichhorst, and I am a second-year master's student in the Religion and Culture program at the University of Alabama. In this episode of Examples, Dr. Susanna von Huns discusses the topic of online seduction forums with me. She is a postdoctoral research associate at Princeton Center for Culture, Society, and Religion, and was in the 2022 cohort of American Examples. American Examples is a Henry Luce Foundation-funded grant that allows early scholars of religion to investigate larger theoretical questions. The foundation of American Examples is the Examples Approach, which allows scholars to use examples from America to present analyses about how religion shapes politics, gender, race, etc., without an audience needing extensive background knowledge in American history. This episode contains descriptions of sexual coercion and assault. Please listen with discretion. Um, Can you start by introducing yourself to us? Yes, although now I feel immediately shy. Okay. Today, uh, yes, uh, my name is Susanne van Geens. Uh, I uh, recently, uh, just this last summer, got my PhD from the University of Toronto. Um, and currently, I'm a postdoc uh, at Princeton, uh, where I help run uh, an awesome public scholarship program. Um, and my research focuses on uh, kind of the, the interplay between uh, computation and sexual norms. So uh, that means that I'm interested in how people use uh, computer language and kind of computer logic uh, to imagine how they should behave uh, sexually and romantically. Um, And my current project is a history of seduction forums, uh, which are online places where men uh, give each other advice for persuading uh, women to have sex with them. Um, And uh, in my work, I kind of show how these men use artificial intelligence terminology to describe what seduction uh, is or should be. So, uh, you know, using an algorithm to get her to text you back, uh, using a feedback loop in a conversation, uh, that kind of thing. Um, And I want to show that computation uh, becomes a way to imagine uh, what it means to live well. Uh, So computation as a kind of uh, religious resource in that way. And how did you initially get interested in this type of research? I've been interested in online anti-feminism for a really long time. Um, So I started out uh, studying um, Christian women who uh, would blog about uh, trying to live uh, as biblical women did 
um, and uh, that that required the rejection of feminism. And then I became really interested in because the way they were talking about the Bible was almost as if the Bible is a kind of code and they were expecting themselves to be programmed by the Bible. Um, so then I became interested in this idea of uh, computers as tools for imagining um, how, uh, how you should live properly. And then I ended up uh, looking at an anti-feminist place on the internet where uh, people do that really directly. Uh, you know, by by saying I need an algorithm um, for how to have sex, or I need an you know uh, a feedback loop for knowing when to initiate a kiss. So, seduction forums are really just a place where people are particularly direct about using computers uh, to think about uh, living in the best way. Which is, I think, the question of how people imagine uh, a nice life is uh, a question for religious studies. So, like, are they actually using the words algorithm? Oh, yes, absolutely. They're just straightforwardly saying algorithm, loop. Um, they're in a later stage in the history of seduction forums. They're saying, uh, you know, you have to think of yourself as data that you uh, feed into her algorithm. Um, they, they're thinking of uh, uh, interactions as encounters between two systems. So when two people meet, they're two systems meeting each other. Uh, so that yeah, they really directly use that language. Is the speed seduction method was that a precursor to this language? Uh, it, is the speed seduction method a precursor? Uh, yes, uh, I would say. Uh, it's just a thing of its time. So the speed seduction method was uh, an early 90s seduction method. Um, and the kind of computer language it uses is more uh, language of the 50s uh, to the 80s. And then after that, we started talking about computers differently. But in a sense, speed seduction is like an early example uh, of a seduction method, late 80s, early 90s, uh, that totally draws on computer language. It's just computer language that maybe now uh, sounds a bit outdated to us. And that was from the book, How to Get the Women You Desire into Bed? Yes, a, a greatest hit, a classic. Uh, never not relevant. How <laughs> to Get the Women You Desire into Bed. Yeah, it's, uh, it's written by uh, Ross Jeffries, uh, who is kind of uh, the godfather of online seduction. Uh, he uh, started out just teaching um, seduction courses in, uh, in uh, along the Californian coast, basically. Um, and then uh, he met a hacker who took one of his courses uh, and the hacker helped him set up, uh, on, and again, this is the early 90s, but it helped him set up a Usenet group, which is uh, what kind of a forum used to be at the time. Uh, and that's how he uh, kind of started the internet of seduction. Uh, he's kind of the, the first figure there. Um, but his method, the speed seduction method, uh, uses um, uh, neuro-linguistic programming, which is a little bit older, uh, basically a self-help movement uh, that says, you know, you have to think of the mind as something that is programmable, uh, as a system, uh, and then the speed seduction uh, method kind of incorporates the insights of neuro-linguistic programming, but applies them, you know, to a very specific purpose which is how to get the women you desire into bed. The, the it's right in the title. Was he a neuro-linguist? 
No, I don't think he was a neurolinguist. Uh, I think uh, that would have made it. Uh, now I know I know a bit uh, uh, about his biography. He was not uh, somebody who um, was engaged in serious research about uh, the brain or about computers, uh, really. Um, but it is important to remember that at this time, uh, when Ross Jeffries, so neurolinguistic programming dates back to the 1970s, uh, and it was developed at Crescent College, which is uh, in San Diego, it was like really the heart of the counterculture, the hippie uh, era. Uh, so it was seen as this sort of radical uh, alternative psychology model, um, so really part of the hippie culture. And then in the 1980s, this is when personal computers happen. Uh, more and more people are feeling, you know, computers are the future. Uh, programmers are these incredibly gifted men, etc. So it makes sense that Ross Jeffries uh, comes to neurolinguistic programming with a sense of how powerful computers are. Uh, and then, uh, you know, being a practical guy, he thinks I should apply not only these insights about uh, the human as a system, uh, I should apply this not only to my general social life, but also very specifically uh, to getting women into bed. Um, and it made him wealthy. He's made, it, it, it's his life's career of teaching boot camps and courses. Uh, yeah, where he's teaching men to apply his method. So for those of us who um, were born in the late 90s or the early 2000s, can you kind of describe what, an online forum looked like when it was first getting started because like I don't imagine that it was like reddit today where someone would create a post and people would respond to it I love this question I really cannot tell you how much I love this question because this is so uh important and it's a part that we are often forgetting that the internet has a history um mm -hmm. so actually in my current role uh at Princeton part of what I'm developing is a way uh, for young people uh, now to think about the internet's past uh, and to kind of have that sort of literacy in the internet's past. So basically, I could give you a very long answer to this question, um, but uh, I should say that the, especially in the 80s and early 90s, uh, access to computer networks is still pretty limited. So it, if you think about it, it requires that you have an expensive computer. Um, it requires that you have the time to like tinker with your computer. So it's basically like being a hobbyist, like a car hobby guy. Um, and it requires that you put this, uh, you know, fragile and expensive computer in a separate space where you can kind of play around with it. So in effect, this means it's often men, uh, because generally, you know, women being at home are, don't quite have the man cave set up. You know, that's the, that's, that's how you should imagine kind of the public that, of course, there were women there, etc. But that's, that's the initial public. Um, and uh, then they joined computer networks that were very local. Um, so they, they really just, they connected computers through phone lines and long distance calling was very expensive. So they used to join uh, kind of networks that, that look like a forum. They look like a forum in the sense that you have a post and then you have a thread. So every response uh, is like laid out underneath it and sometimes repeats part. Uh, parts of the original post. That's still what Reddit looks like. Um, and that's what forums have looked like traditionally. But at the time, uh, it would have been a forum that really has only, you know, other local folks that are calling in with their phones. Um, it used to be really difficult to, uh, it, it used to require quite a bit of technical skill to respond to a post. 
um, and then gradually this has just expanded and expanded. Reddit is basically a social media format for the forum. So Reddit is like a collection of different forums, subreddits. But before that, there were separate forum websites. So you would have like specialized forums for pretty much any topic that you could think of, you know, from tropical fish uh, to seduction. But um, yeah, so there's a number of like famous seduction forums in the early 2000s that then end up getting kind of consolidated and combined into uh, Reddit as a social media platform of forums. Yeah, sorry, that was probably still longer than you needed. Basically, I think the important part to remember is that forums have always had this structure of like nested responses. And for me, that's the defining feature of uh, the forum. So um, when these forums were just getting started, were they really, like for people who had access to the internet, were these forums like fairly easy to access in the sense of like, nowadays things have kind of gone underground like if like incel communities are like not necessarily something you just see when you hop on reddit it's something you kind of have to like search for were they more private or were they like fairly accessible uh that's another great question that has to do with kind of the architecture of the web because uh, the way that incel uh, websites or incel subreddits, for example, are banned is only possible if you have a platform uh, that is capable of banning. Incels are still free to just make their own websites, uh, but they can't gather on Reddit because, you know, the Reddit overlords say that's not allowed. So that's, that, that's where you get the capacity for banning. Somebody like Andrew Tate can get banned from TikTok because TikTok is a platform uh, but he can still uh, run his own website. And in fact, he does, he does exactly that. So really, you, you only get this dynamic of being banned when you have effectively a kind of re-centralization of the internet. Uh, and that happens kind of from 2005 onward, but it really picks up after 2010. So it's pretty recent. If, you, if you're looking with a historian's perspective, it's pretty recent. Um, and before that, absolutely no uh, banning would go on you know users could get banned for not obeying the rules of the forum but then they could make a new account easily um yeah it was kind of a free-for-all in that sense well and speaking of accounts can you talk about the man named mystery oh yes <laughs> uh, another famous guy in the history of uh, modern seduction or of online seduction, I should say, uh, is uh, his real name is Eric von Markovic. Um, and uh, his kind of uh, the name he, he gave himself on uh, the first forum that he joined was Mystery. Uh, and he called himself that because he was um, working as a magician at the time. Um, and he also strongly believed that uh, an effective seduction required that the woman be kind of mystified. Uh, so she should, she should be surprised and dazzled. Uh, and, um, you know, a, a less uh, kind reading would be that she needs to be kind of bamboozled or conned into um, going home or giving her phone number, etc. Um, and he, a lot of the principles that even today um, people on like the, the anti-feminist internet believe in uh, were started by mystery. So he really 
uh, one of the pieces of advice he gives, for example, uh, is to say, you know, you have to really act unimpressed. The more attractive a woman is, the more unimpressed you need to be, um, which is, uh, that is still something that people believe is really important. He was uh, very tall and he wore a wizard hat uh, as he partied because he said that you need to, uh, you know, show that you're comfortable in your masculinity. You need to show that you're fun, not take yourself too seriously. Uh, you need to be memorable. So he recommended like kind of extravagant accessories, etc. And this is still something uh, that you see when men are talking to each other about how to impress women that they say, you just have a big personality. Uh, Andrew Tate is still saying, you know, wear loud pieces, be, uh, you know, be kind of out there and show that you're daring. Uh, a lot of that just, uh, it really begins with mystery. Um, yeah, now, I'm, now I feel like I'm sounding uh, as though I'm like praising this man for his inventions. That's not quite how I want to come across, but yeah, a very influential figure for sure. Um, and a magician in uh, more ways than one. Suzanne, I have to tell you, when I was reading your chapter, I was like so intrigued and simultaneously like so nauseated. Yeah, it is is super bleak. I think in the whole arc of the project, the the book is going to become like a, a history, a 40 year period. And then you kind of start with uh, the speed seduction method where it's still, oh, you know, you need to hypnotize her, but do this it, through feedback loops. Uh, and then you get uh, Mystery who says, you know, she needs to be kind of bewitched uh, and you need to do that through algorithms. Um, and then that kind of slowly moves toward what we see today, uh, which is uh, the incel internet where there is uh, enormous anger around the idea that, you know, if I'm doing everything right, then why am I not succeeding? Why am I not having sex, even though I want to, and even though I'm taking all the steps? And if if you know the history, you can kind of see it coming in the speed seduction method already. uh, And then in mystery stuff where he says, you know, just give her this input and she will give this output. Um, And then incels are people who are saying, well, I'm giving the input and I'm not getting the output. Uh, and so they're really, their frustration is uh, basically, you know, a, a computer frustration of like the machine just won't give me what I, uh, what it needs to give me. Just like we were just having uh, with the recording equipment not working. That's kind of the sentiment on incel uh, forums. And we see uh, what that, yeah, what, what that gives rise to, you know, the, the violence it gives rise to. And can you talk about the like dichotomy that exists with this mindset of these men believing that women are like fixed like they there's a specific formula that they will always follow whereas men have the capability of changing their behavior but the women will always like respond and give them what they want yeah yeah it's basically um a kind of fundamental tension in uh, a lot of uh, seduction thinking is that uh, it's a it's a kind of self-help industry, right? So somebody like Mystery is selling courses and boot camps and products uh, and a whole bunch of other uh, men. You know, they would call themselves pickup artists, and you would uh, pay a pickup artist to give you good advice uh, for being more, uh, you know, sexually successful. So it really is that uh, kind of self-help sphere. 
Um, and if you're selling um, self-help, then you need to believe that uh, you're, you know, that men are capable of change, that they might uh, be at the start of the course uh, utterly undesirable, and at the end of it, they might be so desirable that women want to sleep with them all the time. Like that's kind of core to your pro to, to the product that you're selling. At the same time, the product can only work every time uh, if women are kind of the same. Right. Only if women are kind of the same, then uh, only then is it possible to, you know, to take a boot camp and uh, rehearse different algorithmic structures and expect uh, to be suddenly successful. So that's a real kind of inconsistency. And it, uh, it's not it's not very unique. It's very special. It's like uh, uh, that's the way sexism works. Mm -hmm. uh, who is a, who is seen as capable of change or growth of the, or development, whereas women are just always their bodies. Uh, you know, women's bodies will always respond to dominance. Uh, whenever they see an alpha male, uh, they will just respond in this way. There's no large differences in women's preferences, etc. It's just banal sexism. Uh, but in uh, this sort of seduction system where they're teaching each other algorithms, et cetera, it's particularly um, stark. Yeah. And is this, does this have anything to do with, in your paper, you talk about being mind dependent and mind independent? So I take, I take the term from um, a book called uh, Meta Modernism, which was written by uh, a scholar called uh, Josephson Storm. Um, and he says uh, that. Um, in modernity, in the modern era, one of the defining traits is that uh, we kind of divide up the world uh, in what is uh, cultural and what is natural, or uh, the language he uses, and I think that's more precise, is like mind independent, the kind of stuff that won't change no matter uh, how differently you think about it. You know, if I'm, if I'm uh, having a completely different mindset, it doesn't affect uh, the rain falling on my face. Uh, and the mind dependent. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff that changes as you think about it differently. Um, so uh, your your sense of your own well-being, but it could also be uh, something cultural, like your idea of what a woman is can actually change uh, if you think about it differently. And for um, the seduction guys, they believe that uh, women's uh, sexual preferences are uh, mind independent. So no matter what a woman says, no matter how differently she thinks about her own desire, she just always, you know, kind of A causes B. If she sees an alpha man, uh, she will respond by finding him desirable or being attracted to him. But then for these men, they believe that their own capacity, their own abilities, their skill levels uh, are mind dependent. So they can actually uh, develop them uh, through training, thinking differently and uh, seeing an algorithmic structure in social interactions. Uh, so that's that's kind of the framing uh, that I'm using there. And so you mentioned this being like similar to self-help. And that's actually a question that I was thinking about as I was reading. Um, because, you know, wanting to date someone is not in and of itself a bad thing. No. And like, so where is where's the line? What's the difference between like speed seduction and like you talk about Oprah Winfrey in your chapter or like I thought about Dale Carnegie's book, how to win friends yeah. and influence people. Like how are these different? 
there's kind of multiple ways to approach that question. So one is uh, the kind of moral or ethical question. Uh, is sex a place where we want uh, to think about self-improvement in uh, this particular way? Do we think you can become better at persuading people to have sex with you? That's a particular view of sex as uh, a success. Uh, you know, as having sex with somebody attractive is like akin to having a high salary or these kinds of like, should we really think of sex as performance in this way? I think there's good reasons to fight for other ways to think about sex, in part mm -hmm. because it creates, creates this view of like, uh, you know, there's different tiers of very attractive people and less attractive people. Um, it is, uh, there's no coincidences in finding someone attractive or having a sexual moment between people it can't be a coincidence it's all your skill that you can level up by grinding you know like that kind of the self-help language there i think actually really reduces what can be uh beautiful human fulfilling uh about sex so i think that's a real loss if we take that to be fully a domain of self-help and then yeah. the other question is uh in a way you know what's the difference that it makes that um, these seduction guys are so computational about it. I don't mm. think they're even unique in that. There was a there was a very popular book uh, called Algorithms to Live By, which also sought to kind of use computational language uh, for self-help. The thing that uh, I do think is different is that in seduction, uh, the purpose is not so much to like become your best self, um, which is often... Uh, what self-help is about, right? Like you, you look inside yourself and you think like, who am I really? What are my strengths? How can I cultivate what is already in me to become even better and stronger and more successful? Um, and uh, seduction advice says, I don't care about uh, your soul. All I will get you is the women you desire into bed. So it's a very, uh, I, in, in my own work, I call this like really a method focus so they don't really care um, about uh, what you be self believes or convictions, or uh, they even say, we don't care what women actually are. We only care what they respond to, what method is effective. And I think that kind of minimalism is particularly, uh, it's not unique to seduction. It's not, it, it exists in a lot of self-help uh, traditions. Because uh, I think Dale Carnegie is a good example where it is not so much focused on like, what is your true self that you're nourishing? He's very much like, how can I, you know, uh, get people on my side? But mm -hmm. so I think there's often in self-help this kind of method component, but I think it's especially clear in seduction because they have such a clear measurement of success, which is heterosexual intercourse, penis in vagina, like that is the measurement of success. And then they say, we don't care about anything else except uh, the kind of method that will get you there. Um, and that's usually self-help. Somebody like Oprah is a bit more expansive, right? It's like, how, who are you really? And how can you care for your true self? Uh, the seduction is, uses computers to be like, pretty minimal. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you put that really well. Because while I was reading, I was like, I know that there's a difference. I know that this is not self-help, but I don't know how to word this or figure it out. Because it, I mean, it really just like the seduction methods just feel like, like you're getting duped. Like they're <laughs> getting scammed. Yeah. Like being coerced. It doesn't feel like it just feels really icky. 
Yeah, I think part of the ickiness is that it is uh, upsetting to think, especially about like a romantic or a sexual encounter, uh, to think of that as a place where the other person is like only oriented toward the goal and like not at all interested in, uh, you know, his own uh, thoughts or feelings uh, and not at all interested in the thoughts and feelings of the women that he's talking to. Um, but if you say, you know, I feel... Uh, like you're being scammed by seduction methods, then uh, you're in great company because the incel internet uh, is all about being scammed by seduction methods. So that really, they believe like, oh, you know, we've been lied to, uh, the methods actually don't work. And that's the, the source of the anger. Oh, so the scammers think they're getting scammed. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're, uh, the scammers would be the pickup artists, you know, the mysteries. But you know what's actually sad? They uh, end up being like, I feel scammed because uh, the method doesn't work. It doesn't get me what I want. The women I desire are still not in my bed. Uh, but actually, I think the real scam is that they rob themselves of a concept of relationships that is not about uh, success or is not about like getting what you want. I think that's actually a very narrow view of what it means to be human. That's the real scam, I think. If we think that getting what you want uh, is what it means uh, to live well or to be happy. So through your research, you've kind of seen the way that this language has developed. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on where you see it going. That's a really interesting question. Where where do I see it going? I think... Um, I think we're still in, so in, uh, in a larger project, I connect the different phases in how uh, seduction forums are using um, computer language to different phases in the development uh, of AI. Uh, and the moment we're in currently, uh, now when, you know, when we talk about AI in the 80s, we actually mean something quite different computationally than when we talk about AI now. But now we're in a moment where uh, AI is effectively about statistics. Um, so, uh, you know, when you have chat GPT or something like that, it's uh, you have algorithms that you feed a ton of data and then they start uh, making predictions about what sort of answer you want out of them. Um, right. So you feed them a ton of data, they kind of chew through that. And then when you ask a question, it'll produce the uh, answer that it thinks you're most likely to want. So it's prediction and statistics. And um, in uh, the both the kind of domain of male uh, self-help or seduction advice, uh, men are saying like, you know, women have algorithms in their brain um, and these algorithms are just ranking and sorting uh, all men all the time. So what you need to do is to improve yourself as data so that you give her data inputs that are more likely to be processed as a yes. So that is, they're imagining women as the kind of chat GPT that needs to be fed a particular amount of data so that uh, a yes, I want to have sex with you, will come out of it. Um, and that's, that's kind of still on the self-help side. They're telling each other, like, you need to lift more weights, you need to make more money. Um, you need to have all these markers of success that will, they call this metrics, that will improve your metrics uh, so that a woman will eventually uh, agree to have sex with you. And then incels say, uh, we have no way of producing these metrics. 
Um, and that's really, I think they are pointing to a kind of disillusionment with the possibility of uh, this kind of datafied framework uh, that I, I think they're kind of ahead of the, the rest of us in that. I wonder whether we, we will see more broadly uh, a kind of disillusionment um, with this style of thinking where you can just split up yourself into all these different particles and improve your numbers and improve your rates. Uh, I think uh, incels come to a critique. I mean, it's an extremely toxic, hateful place, but I do think um, uh, they are showing us the limits of, uh, yeah, a certain form of AI thinking. Yeah, I really think that. I mean, kind of insane, right? But yeah, they, they really do. Uh, they say it's because, uh, for incels actually say it's because uh, women do not, uh, they care only about looks. So even mm. if you become rich, if you are too ugly, um, you cannot ever succeed with women. Uh, so your your data will never be good enough, uh, basically. That's that's the reasoning. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, should I explain this more? But like, yeah. <laughs> I see how speed seduction is related to psychology and computer science, but where does religion come into this? Like, why would a scholar of religion study and teach this topic? Um, I'm not sure that uh, all scholars of religion uh, need to think about uh, speed seduction, but I do really think that more of us should be thinking about computers. Um, so for me, the, the seduction angle or speed seduction, uh, it helps uh, show that computers are not just about the internet and that computers are not always about communication and community, uh, which are things that as scholars of religion, we're usually more comfortable with. Um, and I want to show that computers are also part of our imagination, uh, that they help us imagine how we can live or how we should live. So then, you know, if you're a scholar of religion and you care about how people inhabit norms, uh, how people organize their lives, uh, those sorts of things, uh, then you should really be caring about how computers help us do that. So in the speed seduction method, you see really directly what it means uh, to imagine a person as a system and how that then fuels uh, particular ideas about how to behave and how to, how to be a man, essentially. Uh, but there's lots of other places where people imagine themselves as systems or uh, they think they need uh, a step-by-step -step plan to, where they want, to get where they want to be. Um, so that's, that's really why I think, uh, scholars of religion should care. We should care about what computers are doing, uh, to how we think about ourselves and our, our places that we want to go. What did Joseph Campbell contribute to the intersection between the study of religion and therapeutic remedies for feminization? I think he's a bit less well-known now, but it used to be the case that if you said uh, you study religion at a party uh, without other people who study religion, uh, then you would get the response like, oh, like Joseph Campbell. Uh, so Joseph Campbell wrote a book in which he uh, identified basically the same basic story uh, in all religious myths. So the title, uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, kind of gives it away. It's the same hero, he has a thousand faces. Uh, so Campbell believed that modern people uh, really should uh, kind of get back in touch with a kind of timeless, unchanging core myth. So in my work, I show that there 
is this really long-standing concern that men are not doing well um, and that they're not doing well specifically because society uh, is more and more feminized. Uh, and that's really been you know, a pressing concern since uh, the late 19th century. Uh, the idea that men are too civilized, uh, they're too sensitive to women's concerns, uh, that kind of thing. And then in the 1980s, uh, there were movements of men who thought that the solution might be uh, to embrace a kind of inner core, uh, an inner core that's like untouched by modernity, untouched by women, uh, a kind of primal man. Um, I think Jordan Peterson is a recent example of this kind of uh, this line of thinking where you can counter the dangers of feminization by getting men back in touch with a kind of hero within the kind of eternal hero. So that's that's what Campbell helps provide uh, for men uh, who are reading about this sort of timeless hero figure that appears in every myth, in every society. Uh, it provides a particular vision uh, of manhood. I think that's specifically relevant to the study of religion because Campbell is part of a particular tradition in our field, uh, really from from Jung to Eliade, like different scholars that are really important to uh, the study of religion. Uh, Campbell is part of that tra trajectory. Um, there were a lot of people who, less common now, but a lot of people used to think that the study of religion is really about fi finding that which is the same in every religion. Uh, and that's, that's also what Campbell uh, was trying to do. So in this kind of weird way, the intellectual lineage of our field overlaps with the intellectual lineage uh, of men's movement, of you know, Jordan Peterson. And so Jordan Peterson and our discipline share a kind of common ancestor. Yeah. So is it like the, when Joseph Campbell's talking about this kind of hero complex, does that, would you say that leads into the alpha beta? Not re I think those have different, uh, different backgrounds because for, um, for Joseph Campbell, the idea was really that there was something like, Maybe maybe they are similar than I say yeah maybe they're similar than uh, I initially thought. So usually the the like being an alpha or being a beta, that's like um, when uh, men on the internet use that language. They're kind of drawing on ideas about evolution, um, and uh, the sense that we are really still animals that our brain uh, still works uh, in this kind of animal pack kind of way. Uh, and that the more we, un if you understand that, you can, uh, you know, uh, win out and become the alpha, which is itself a really interesting uh, presupposition. So you can actually change all those years of evolution then. But uh, that's that's usually the lineage there. But then um, for somebody like Joseph Campbell, uh, he believes that there's just some sort of eternal core. He doesn't really talk about it in the language of evolution in a Darwinian sense, but he does believe that becoming so civilized uh, as we are, you know, we are so civilized, we are so far removed from this sort of primitive society uh, that that has uh, kind of alienated us from, from something really important that's within. But generally, I would say that Joseph Campbell is not so interested in hierarchies among men. Um, and the alpha beta idea is really related to that. Um, also, I, I do feel the need to say that this whole idea of like going back to primitive, primitive mythology, be, like having some primal primitive man within, uh, is very steeped in uh, yeah particular forms of racism about who who is still primitive and untouched by modernity, 
um, really uh, quite outspoken uh, in these men's movements that kind of came out of Joseph Campbell and, and uh, kind of formed around him. Uh, there was a lot of like doing indigenous rituals because this was uh, thought to bring you closer to that primal core within. So it's really like tightly intertwined with that, that kind of racism. It kind of, it reminds me of essentialism. Yeah, yeah, but it, because it is essentialism, it's saying like there is a sacred essence within everyone that is like their masculine core that you can like get back in touch with, etc. So it is hyper essentialist. Yeah, it embraces essentialism basically. Yeah. So, I want to know like what the takeaway is. I know you've kind of touched on it, but why is it important to study for this? And what do you hope that people can take away from this episode? I really hope that people take away is that computers are not just our devices. Um, we are thinking and acting like computers. Uh, we are fashioning ourselves in the image of computers. Uh, and even and, and we do that actually even in places that seem very non-computery, uh, like dating or sex. Yeah. Examples is an American Examples production in the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Alabama, with funding from the Henry Luce Foundation. This episode was produced by Sierra Eichhorst. Special thanks to Dr. Susanna von Huns and Dr. Michael Altman. You can follow the Department of Religious Studies on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Study Religion or on Facebook at facebook.com R-E-L-U-A. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review. Uh, named Josephson Storm. Josephson Storm. Oh, I should start again. Wait. Uh, so I take uh, that terminology from uh, metamodernism. Metamodernism. <laughs> I can't. Oh, I can't.